We are all natural-born storytellers. Whether you think of yourself that way or not, the stories that mold and shape our lives oftentimes become foundational parts of our growth, healing, and even generational experiences. Welcome to Awaken Your Soul, a storytelling podcast that shares moments of awakening, trials and tribulations, truth, and vulnerability in the words and voice of the featured storyteller. And now, a life-changing story from this week's guest. Hey everyone, my name is Emily. I am a licensed mental health counselor and a proud new baker for Crumble Cookie. Literally one of the most fun jobs I've ever had. If you've never had one, you need to go find your closest Crumble store. Um, I grew up in Maryland, but I've been living in Florida for the past 14 years. Most recently, I've been focused on surviving life with a 15-year-old boy that just got his learner's permit and who also knows everything about everything. I spend most days clenching my teeth or laughing hysterically. I just never know which it will be. Fun times. Before I get into the thick of things, I just wanted to express how honored I am to have been invited to share my story on Awaken Your Soul. It's kind of funny, actually, because this is not something I would typically search out for myself or feel comfortable doing, but I said yes with zero hesitation. Needless to say, I've navigated the last several days in a half-conscious state wondering what in the world I was going to talk about, really just wondering what makes my story worth telling. I mean, my story means a lot to me, and I am deeply grateful for the experiential growth it's awarded me, but where do I begin? And how do I communicate the most influential parts of my journey to you, the listeners? So I started with my journal and a paper I wrote in my master's program that was found buried deep in one of the dark corners of my closet. It's titled, A Journey to Grace. It was 2.42 in the morning. You know how you can sometimes remember those weird details and moments of sheer panic? I sat straight up in bed, terrified by the fact that I couldn't breathe, my heart was racing, and the inside of me felt like one massive tornado. Looking back now, it was pretty clear that I was just drowning in oblivion. I was so desperate to keep the appearance of A perfect life that I lacked any kind of awareness or attunement to the emotional storm that was brewing within me. I was completely lost, yet I didn't even realize it. As I attempted to calm myself using those deep breaths your therapist is always telling you about, my mind just became this broken record. You have to tell him. You have to tell him. You have to tell him. Tell him what? What do I say? It's 2.30 in the morning. Isn't there a slightly more convenient time for this? I was pissed. Well, really scared out of my mind, but also pissed. My body was completely betraying me. It was denying all the rules I had set up. It refused to take one more minute of this act that was my life. Now is probably a good time to let you in on the context of this midlife crisis Um, I made my first big move from home about six years prior, just one year after having my first child. 
I moved for my then husband's job, and while I was much more reluctant to leave home than he, we both agreed that it was a good opportunity. This was just the beginning of my slow unraveling. My partner became the only person I had, and he was much less available than ever before. I didn't have the support of family or friends being just a short drive away, and I was thrown into this private boarding school culture that I had never experienced before. Whether it was inadvertently implied or a source of internal pressure I put on myself, there quickly became this image I felt I needed to uphold to fit my new life. My pleas for help on how to find more balance in this life were often met with disregard. Looking back, though, they were likely communicated out of anger and resentment rather than disappointment, sorrow, and pain. Why the ass can't you make it home for dinner was probably not a compassionate delivery for how forgotten I felt. So rather than continue to be vulnerable with how sad and unhappy I felt at times, because let's face it, no one was listening anyway, I threw myself into absorbing this new role. In other words, acting. I had literally become numb to life. Functioning from day to day was almost robotic because it was easier to feel nothing at all. I had become a doer, and I wasn't even doing that entirely well. I can recall sitting at one of my son's baseball games, watching him play and cheering him on, but almost as if I were outside my body. I was acting out the idea of excitement, but I couldn't feel it. I was a spectator in my own life, watching it go by in front of me and unable to experience it. I felt alone in a room full of people, distracted by nothing but also by everything. I felt constantly conflicted, ashamed, and like an alien inside my own body. I was completely disconnected. So, rewinding to perhaps 3 a.m. at this point, somehow I managed to reach over and shake my husband awake, still wondering what psychotic person wakes their spouse at this hour to ruin both of their lives. In what felt like uncontrollable, blubbering word vomit, I told my husband of 16 years that I could not play this part for one more day. It was excruciating. The part of me that never wanted to upset or disappoint anyone, the part of me that was defined by perfectionism, the part of me that knew how to function in this role even though I was unhappy and disconnected, and the part of me that never wanted an ounce of pain for my child wanted to take back every single word. But the part of me that felt hopeless going to therapy week after week and describing how stuck I felt, the part of me that had felt this unraveling for years, and the part of me that wanted more for my relationships yearned for this movement. Let me stop feeling paralyzed for just a moment and try moving in one direction. Finally, I was moving but no one prepared me for how terrifying it would be, and I feared that I had made an immense mistake. I just kept thinking, I don't know how to do this. The only thing I know how to do is act, and I will not allow myself to go backwards. 
though, simply because it's more comfortable. And so began my journey to grace. Oddly, I packed my things as if I were embarking on a physical journey, which in a way I guess I certainly was, but I would say it was much more emotional and spiritual. I remember reading Glennon Doyle Melton's book, Untamed, on the balcony of my new little two-bedroom apartment, and she introduced this process of unbecoming that strongly resonated with me. I was quite literally unbecoming. Things were falling away, left and right. I had just left everything that was familiar to me. My support systems were at an all-time low because many people didn't understand and needed answers that I couldn't even give myself. And all the things that I had communicated to define who I had become over the past several years sat in a house that I no longer lived in. But in a much more beautiful way, the attitudes and core beliefs that I had adopted over the years were also falling away. You're not good enough. You have to be perfect. You messed up. You're a bad person. I was stripped down to my core, my most raw, pure, and vulnerable self. This was, without a doubt, the most lonely and alone I have ever felt. Yet somehow I knew that out of all of this pain, I had the opportunity to find connection, forgiveness, solitude, and grace all of the things that I had starved myself of for years. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Eat, Pray, Love, but I will admit I've been slightly obsessed with her story over the years. With such a testimony to the hard work and courage it takes to confront your own self, I was inspired and challenged by her quote that ruin is a gift. Ruin is the road to transformation. Now, I grew up in the church, pretty heavily involved as a young person in vacation Bible schools, church camps, and youth groups, all of these being some of the best memories of my childhood. However, I never got the feeling growing up that a life filled with mess and chaos, one that wasn't presented neatly wrapped and put together, was acceptable. So perfectionism served me quite well in my early years. I honestly never had a real need for my faith or even understood its depth. Until this moment, everything had been picture perfect. Now I had no idea where I was going, who I was, or how I would afford to live. I had zero answers. My divorce was pretty tumultuous initially and I felt like I was entering a physical and emotional boxing ring every day I woke up. Needless to say, I had no choice but to give up the reins to a higher spiritual energy. For me, that would be God, and have faith that I would be guided through this process in a way that would offer healing and growth. I simply could not do it on my own. Enduring the process of any broken relationship is heart-wrenching, and watching my child navigate this hardship made me physically ill at times. I was filled with guilt, shame, anxiety, and fear, and I wasn't sure I would ever be able to forgive myself. 
The truth was, the more I tried to suppress and deny these wounded parts of myself, the more I was allowing them control over my thoughts and behaviors, and the more they kept me disconnected from opportunities for love and healing. I needed an environment conducive to the safe exploration of the innermost disliked and disowned parts of myself. Sounds great, right? But I mean, what if punishing myself was not what was intended? What if it was only keeping me from what I wanted the most? I remember reading this book in my master's program called Urgings of the Heart that said spiritual growth occurs when we are graced with a felt knowledge or emotional realization of our radical goodness and lovableness in the midst of our imperfection. So wait, I can live honestly in my mess? I was mind blown. Cheryl Strait also asked in her book, Brave Enough, would you be a better or worse person if you forgave yourself? If you perpetually condemn yourself, does that make you good? As I continued to move ever so slowly in one direction, I felt like I was starting to figure this thing out. I realized that acting was allowing me to avoid all of my self-defeating thoughts and beliefs, and it severely limited the possibility of what I might find if I truly sat in contemplation and examined who I had become. I was holding my own self captive in a world of dysfunction and unrest, and by remaining distant from myself, I was remaining distant from what I so desperately desired but felt I did not deserve. But I was committed to the journey to look deep within myself, so I very intentionally sought out the resources that I knew would help me survive. For me, it was journaling, really sitting with my thoughts and feelings when they arose. Regular therapy, yoga, the real super-duper soul-healing kind of yoga, being outdoors, the water, my faith, my dog, and my friends and family. This transformation was life-changing. It was the hardest, scariest thing I have ever done, uh, next to trying to get a lizard out of my house on my own. Because no, after 14 years, I'm still not used to them. (laughs) It was a metamorphosis. I know you immediately thought of butterflies and caterpillars when I said that, didn't you? But what about the process of transformation? Of course, the beauty is obvious, but what about the biological process? I'm going to throw one more resource at you because I think it's amazing and you can give it a listen if you have the time. It's a TEDx talk by Dr. Adi Jaffe on the struggles of transformation. In this talk, he highlights that metamorphosis takes place when an organism uses all of its energy to physically break down its own body. It's a literal process of breaking down in order to become unbecoming. Dr. Jaffe's invitation was to not lose sight of the beauty, change, and growth in the process. If we focus only on the product, we miss a tremendous opportunity. We miss the mess. We miss the good and bad parts. 
We miss the mistakes and successes. We miss the grief and the sorrow. And we miss the strength and resiliency. What if all of these are invitations? What if our lessons come from our pain? To say that I was transformed by the deep experiencing of my struggles is profoundly understated. It led me to an intimate relationship with myself, with others, and with my faith that I did not even know was possible. I walked away with a deeper compassion to feel for and with other people. I walked away with an understanding that grace is universal. I walked away connected, forgiven, and transformed. If any of you guys are on the fence about whether or not to confront an issue in your life that's been staring you in the face, I just want to remind you that you really hold all the answers. And when you notice your body reacting, for me it was that unforgettable tornado, try not to fear it. Listen to it. It's there to teach you something. So gather the things you know will support you and get ready to change your life. Thank you guys so much for listening and for the opportunity to share my story with you. For more information on this week's guest, visit the episode notes section on awakenyoursoulpodcast.com. And if you'd like to share your story with us, click the share your story section on awakenyoursoulpodcast.com and complete the submission form. The best way to never miss an episode is to subscribe to the podcast through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever you stream podcasts. To show additional support for the show, visit the Buy Me a Coffee link in the notes of this episode or become a supporter through Spotify. Your support contributes to the production of this show. Sundays and soulful stories go hand in hand. So join us next week for another life-changing story that will awaken your soul.